Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, you and I started reading, listening to the new Elon Musk biography by Walter Isaacson, and we sort of challenged ourselves to kind of learn more about the world's richest man, depending on the week, his major companies like Tesla and SpaceX. How do you become the world's richest man? And I think you're going to learn a lot in this book. And here's the best paragraph I read. His heritage and breeding, along with the hard wiring of his brain, made him at times callous and impulsive. It also led to an exceedingly high tolerance for risk. He could calculate it coldly and also embrace it feverishly. Elon wants risk for its own sake, says Peter Thiel, who became his partner in the early days of PayPal. He seems to enjoy it, indeed at times be addicted to it. He became one of those people who feels most alive when a hurricane is coming. I was born for a storm, and a calm does not suit me, Andrew Jackson once said. Likewise with Musk, he developed a siege mentality that included an attraction, sometimes a craving for storm and drama, both at work and in the romantic relationships he struggled and failed to maintain. He thrived on crises, deadlines, and wild surges of work. When he faced torturous challenges, the strain would often keep him awake at night and make him vomit, but it also energized him. He is a drama magnet. That's his compulsion, the theme of his life. And Don, it's been an interesting book. You and I are about halfway through it. What do you think about Elon Musk? What are your big takeaways from the first parts? One, that he is all in on everything. He's willing to put every, a bit of him into these uh, th tasks he takes on. He was willing to risk his money and his investment, everything he has on each sequential thing that he's doing. And it's many things he's doing at once. With this, he must be pretty, he's been very, very successful. Also, the parallels to Steve Jobs, both because I've read the Steve Jobs biography, he's just a, quite similar. And the author is the same of the two books. So there's a lot of parallels there that I really keep drawing. Yes, Walter Isaacson references the Steve Jobs biography almost throughout as you have two personalities who seem similar when it comes to hard driving, brutally honest, almost to the point of, of being a bully, being mean, and yet also getting large numbers of very intelligent people to accomplish and develop and design products that kind of our world changing and, and really do sort of have an impact on our lives. Oh, absolutely. And that's his vision from the very beginning is that he's going to change humanity. He's going to change the world with this, I'll make these electric cars viable and thus change the way carbon is spewn into our atmosphere and also send us to other planets. And those two things are the great vision and Really, the success at this point, we have to say, it may change, but at this point, it looks like he's wildly successful on both counts. There, there's something fascinating about how the book kind of portrays Musk as somebody who thinks about his big vision problem first. And as you're saying, one of them is carbon, and then the other is becoming basically a, a multi-planet species. And then from there, he almost works backwards to developing businesses that will be able to sustain meeting those sorts of goals. And I just think it's really admirable to see somebody that big and then actually able to 
deliver on 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 meeting his own personal goals. And I, I feel like that is the part that maybe doesn't get talked about enough in the media. And I get it. There's a lot of reasons why people can feel irritated when they when they see his tweets and, and see some of his behaviors and see some of his comments towards people. I totally understand that. But I do think you have to look at him in full and sort of admirably sort of respect the parts that he has done. Well, yeah, and that's I like I think you said it well, is that the idea comes first. Let's make this great big thing that we're thinking about. And then the profitability, the business sense will come after it. And nobody sees how this business can be profitable, but he has a vision all the way out. I guess I didn't appreciate that when I, before I started reading the book. Now that I'm reading it, I'm pretty blown away. The other part about risk, and that was sort of mentioned in my paragraph, but risk comes up a ton in this book. And I also think that this is something that also maybe doesn't get thought of enough is he makes his first 22 million with sort of an early internet startup called Zip2 and is kind of willing to put in quite a bit of it into PayPal, which he starts working at and um, eventually kind of gets forced out in his own story there. He walks away from the PayPal with about 225 million, but What's kind of interesting is he has almost all of it again on the line as he is trying to juggle the beginnings of SpaceX and Tesla. He's got rocket crashes that are happening in the beginning. He himself is sort of pushing Tesla to actually keep redesigning the car and only increasing the costs. You get to this point where he's begging some of his internet billionaire friends for money just to make payroll at Tesla. But you realize that he pretty much puts it all on the line again, and it's not a certain outcome. And, and I think that that is just sort of a really interesting thing. There's a really interesting quote in there, I believe, by Reed Hoffman, one of the PayPal founders, where he's like, actually, most entrepreneurs are very risk averse. And the whole point of starting a business is to just take the best calculated chances. And they're just like, Elon just puts that on its head. He just pushes all in all the time. And I don't know, I was wondering, do you think he's like the greatest winner of capitalism ever in terms of risk and reward? Well, it certainly looks that way. But I want to correct you. Earlier on, he says when he puts all, he goes all in, he thinks it's likely to fail. The most likely outcome, he says, is that I go broke. And that he's, he's cool with that. He's willing to take that because of the payoff of what he sees as the long range goal, which hasn't occurred yet, which is the... Uh, carbon free world and all that but also that he is willing just to put it all all in thinking he's going to go broke for likelihood is he the biggest winner uh, i mm, i don't know in the last 50 years absolutely can we go back to robber barons can we see uh jp morgan maybe jp morgan he did keep the united states afloat too no, and, and that's, that's a good point, is you've got lots of people in history that you could say, you know, helped win capitalism or obviously did very well. It's just kind of amazing to see one person have such huge controlling stakes in these major businesses that he himself, though, sort of built from the ground up. Now, it does come up in this book, and I think it's worth mentioning that there are lots of talented engineers and people that he surrounded himself that also helped him build these companies. But clearly he seems to be the driving force uh, in terms of design and energy that allowed these things to keep going. 
Absolutely. And it's not, that's the big distinction that the author draws from Jobs is that Jobs does, oversaw the designing of this thing and how great it could be, but he didn't do any of the, build, of the manufacturing. And he talks about how hard the manufacturing is, because especially the way Elon wanted to do it, which is we're going to build this thing from the ground up. We're not going to contract it out and we're going to make it amazing. And that's where the biggest challenges he incurs comes up with. And also, I would say the biggest breakthroughs, which is lowering the cost of space travel. I, I, the thing I just found admirable, and I, and I started walking around uh, school just the other day thinking a lot about this, is he's a big believer in first principles thinking, which is basically to a question every assumption, question every regulation, question every rule, and just say, why is it being done like this? And are we sure this is the best way? And as you're saying with like space travel, he becomes interested in wanting to go to Mars. In fact, his like first goal is like just to send a rocket to Mars to like plant some flowers or something like that. And then have people be able to watch it on a video feed. Maybe that will inspire humanity. And then it sort of becomes, uh, actually, I'm just going to build my own rockets because the Russians keep sort of, uh, you know, making it hard for him to buy some used rockets. And slowly through time, he just realizes that, the space industry has been one of the greatest kind of fattest cows out there in terms of profits is they have these cost plus contracts, which basically Lockheed and Boeing, they get paid even as there's delays and even as there's more cost to all of these things, they continue to get paid and then they even get a profit on top of it. And he's like, this is ridiculous. We could do this cheaper. And they even mentioned parts that might cost $1,500 that he's producing for like $30. And it's kind of admirable that somebody actually is looking at the system and saying, this can be done for a lot cheaper. Why aren't we as a government paying for results instead of just cost? Well, you had to have an outsider to make that change because yeah, that's exactly the way it works. They're guaranteed a profit over their costs and it doesn't matter what the costs are. So there's no incentive to bring the costs down. And so it is just an incredibly expensive thing. It reminded me a little bit of the uh, book we read about um, the rescue of Ford. When you have uh, our astronaut that comes in to save Ford, it's Alan Malawi. And he comes in and then the big auto industry, GM, and people are like, well, this guy doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. He's the airplane guy. Turns out he was doing the things that GM was three years behind and his company didn't go bankrupt because of the things he did. And it just wasn't even understood at all from the inside perspective. And you have to have an outsider, otherwise you don't change at all. So where we are as a nation space-wise is really largely thankful to, thanks to Elon Musk and also all the money he saved because of the way that he was doing things. One of my favorite lines in that Alan Mulally book is, as he takes the, you know, takes the lead at Ford, some of the skeptical engineers look at him and they're just like, you know that cars have over 10,000 different components that I'll go in to make it. And then he coldly looks over there and he's like, planes have over a million. <laughs> and uh, you're right, though. There's something about starting from a blank page. There's also something, though, about being the scrappy upstart where you don't just have infinite resources. And there's just great examples of all of these engineers, like, like taking mallets and like reshaping the pieces or having engineers and designers working on the floor of your uh, manufacturing facility so that they are right on the same page working together. They also just talk about how like 
Elon is constantly having these like crazy deadlines. Like we're going to do this in four weeks and everybody's like, this is impossible. And then he's just screaming and irate. And he almost expects half the time for people not to make deadlines, but to essentially just create this bond in this uh, moment of hysteria and this moment of urgency to keep creating, to get smart uh, and to work cheaper and all of that, I just are the things that I think people would find really admirable about how he has built both of his companies. Well, absolutely. And this reality distortion field of, you know, that that well, that's what they called it with jobs, but creating this environment where people are forced or in, incentivized to do what they didn't think was possible. And although Musk burns people out, they don't seem to go nuts like uh, the guy that uh, Jobs drove to write the code for the Mac. So these getting things done, but I feel like I'm sure Henry Ford would have agreed that you got to have your engineers in the same spot as where they're doing the building, but I'm not sure he'd put them right next to him, which is what Musk did and resulted in getting the uh, best product they could at the time for the money. So it, there's some genius there. There's also some things that I think Thomas Edison or Henry Ford or any of your early uh, Robert Barron type people would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So he's got a little bit of that in him, but he also has the driving people to the limit, but yet getting still good things out of them. The tolerance for risk is what's incredible because he changes everybody else's perspective in the organization about what kind of risk we'll tolerate. Like, okay, well, we're going to do this and we're just going to be ready to take this kind of risk because we can. And I'm willing to do that and put my money on the line and people listen because it's my money. It's very fortunate those first few businesses work, Zach, because we're all benefiting from the huge risks he's taking with his money. That's a really good point, because I guess you could also say that there's lots of points along the way where these businesses could have failed. And Elon Musk just maybe becomes another guy that's, uh, you know, just a co-founder of PayPal, for instance. Right. Uh, and that's all he did. And, and then he was a failed businessman. And maybe people are even laughing at him because he wasn't successful I guess ultimately, though, you have to say it worked. And even a lot of the other tech founders that he was friends with all sort of marvel at he did it. None of us thought he could do it. None of us thought he was going to have a rocket company. In fact, the best part is when he announces he wants to have a rocket company, all of like these tech guys all try to stage an intervention. And apparently they put together a highlight reel of just rockets blowing up and trying to be like, don't waste your money. Don't get into this. And yet all it did was just like, further his resolve to be like, I am going to build a rocket company. And what's crazy was like the first three rockets they had all failed, all blew up. And he kind of like pushed all his chips, all the final money he had into like a fourth rocket. And this was going to be it. And again, just, I, I try to think like, would I be able to do this if I were in his shoes? And obviously I don't even have the math skills to be in his shoes, but I, I think I probably would have like pulled back and said, you know what? Like, I've got a lifetime supply of money. If I just stop now, do I really want to push it all in? But, you know, there are different kinds of people that just don't think like that, obviously. Well, and he's a guy with uh, Asperger's-like symptoms. I'm not sure if he has Asperger's or not, but they refer to his Asperger's-like symptoms. And I think that's part of what makes him who he is. You're talking to the most risk-averse person in the world who will always take less interest over a uh, risky investment and has been doing basically the same thing for uh, 24 years. I I'm happy to avoid risk and I'm happy where I am, but it makes me appreciate people who are not, who are doing the other thing. No, it is. It's almost like looking at a foreign species because I, I too am not the most riskiest of person out there. 
And I think I would also be calculating odds and making sure what's my walk away number. Right. And he clearly is just, is just not thinking on that level. And I think that's what makes the book uh, so interesting. My question to you is one of the recurring themes though, in this book is sort of whether or not Elon is a nice guy and treats people well. And you know, again, it, it sort of mirrors the jobs biography is that is constantly being brought up. And there's constantly anecdotes where he's firing somebody or screaming at somebody or making somebody feel terrible about themselves. Does any of that matter? Do you think? I, I, I don't know why, but I just kept saying, like, is it just irrelevant to read that, like, maybe he's just not very nice to a lot of people? Or do you think that's a major part of the story? Because I just can't decide if that's like a modern sort of American thing to care that like somebody's a nice guy. I think maybe we want to see successful people also be nice, but yet I just can't decide if it's even relevant. Well, it's relevant in different senses. Like, is he a nice person? Not especially. I mean, didn't the guy, he parted ways with the co-founder of Tesla who said, calls him an asshole and says that sometimes the world's need, needs assholes to get things done. And he got things done and that to his credit. And I mean, I'm glad that he's out there. I don't want to live with him. I don't want to be married to him. It doesn't seem like a lot of people want to either, but that's not necessarily his goal in life. And he'll probably be better remembered than I am. And I'm okay with that, Zach. I just don't think that I want to be that guy or my family wants to be around that guy. Right. I I, I agree with you. I just, I just wondered like, though, do you think it's like a modern phenomenon that we care about whether people are nice or not? And my point being, History books, they, they don't necessarily really talk about if George Washington was nice or if Abraham Lincoln was nice or if, if any founders or any of these like successful people in the past were nice. It's more just about like these were the results they got and this is what happened. I, I just I feel like it's weird that we spend so much time wondering if these people are nice. Well, I think we care if they're nice, if they're not billionaires. But if you're a billionaire or very powerful, you don't have to be nice. And neither Steve Jobs Steve Jobs and Elon Musk were both successful based largely on their own early efforts and partnerships. And from there, they decided to be dominant and forceful and not very nice. And I think you could probably put Steve Jobs in that category. And I don't do, know much about JP Morgan or Andrew Carnegie, but I think they'd probably fit in the same category. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Michael Jordan doesn't seem like a very nice person, right? Uh, no, at the yeah, same, I don't at, think he's a nice person. But at the same time, I guess I'd also have to say, like, you know, these are still a lot of people that are talking professionally and maybe somewhat personally about these people. And they just say, this is my interactions with him. I always wonder, though, too, it's like, look, like at the end of the day, you can still have a, a, a more private life or maybe you have close confidence, confidants who might say differently about you than whether or not you were nice because maybe you got treated differently in a different circle I just think it's interesting that Isaacson wants to spend this much time about people weighing sort of whether he was nice or whether he got results, because everybody seems to say the same thing. They were not treated very well by him, but they got amazing results. And he also, you know, were able to get them to do things they never thought were possible. Well, I think that's part of writing the biographies. We want to know about this person. Like we don't, it, it, this biography isn't a list of accomplishments. It's a, uh, reckoning with who this person was and how do we how should we feel about them or think about them and part of that is are they a nice person i think that's the balance of everything in this book is 
you know, would, how do we compare with this person? We have to look at it. We can't just spend the entire time aspiring to be them or to put them in some sort of pantheon of greatness. We need to think about, well, what were they like? That's what we want to know. We can read about the accomplishments on Wikipedia. We want to know the texture of their life, what they f- it feels like to be around them. I think I have a pretty good idea, although I'm only 42 chapters in. No, and, and, and that's a good point. And part of it is the book does start from the beginning. And Elon is born in South Africa uh, during the kind of 70s and 80s. And basically, what's really interesting just to sort of read about growing up in South Africa is just sort of like, what a different culture it is than America and just kind of the violence that seems to be going on in the country on a regular basis, talking about like it kind of just being dangerous to ride a public train. And uh, you have to be worried about somebody mugging you uh, on an often basis, but even just going to school seems like a place where sort of bullying and violence is kind of tolerated and you're going to have to kind of figure it out. But it also just seems like culturally a place that, that's where people sort of grow up is figuring out how do you survive and thrive among sort of some chaos and violence that just does not seem like it is in an American place, if you know what I'm saying. Well, absolutely. And I have lots of thoughts on this because have you read the Trevor Noah book? I have not. Oh, you got That's the next one we should do. Um, Trevor Noah book's amazing, but Trevor Noah talks about growing up in South Africa and he's got lots of incredible stories. And it's a little similar to Elon Musk, but not entirely. There's actually a lot, quite a few differences. But anyway, uh, Elon Musk grows up getting his butt kicked. Like he wasn't in wealth, but he was not trying to struggle to find ends to make ends meet. But at the same time, he was in some rough situations. And I have changed what I thought, Zach. There's this perspective, perhaps bout uh, a UFC match between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, and. <laughs> Um, Elon Musk was, I was siding with Zuckerberg. He's many years younger. He looks a lot fitter, but I think I'm now voting, putting my money on Musk. If the fight does occur, by the way, I don't think it'll occur because of one line in the book, Musk is getting beaten up at these crazy camps where basically it's, you know, Lord of the flies. And he realizes that if the bully comes up to take all his stuff, if he punches him in the nose, he'll still get his ass kicked. But the guy won't try it, try it again because getting hit in the nose really hurts. So he's willing to punch somebody in the nose and just take the beating afterwards. And I was like, ooh, I think this guy's, this is the guy that's going to win the fight. I think Zuckerberg's going to tap out pretty quickly. I think Musk has been punched in the nose quite a few times. He's willing to take a beating to get, get what he wants. There is a resolve there. This idea of these schools, as you're saying, Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Flies, it's like belt school, they called it. And It just seems like kids are kind of left out in these open spaces with like very little food or supplies. And it seems like it's kind of implied, like you got to just go steal other kids' foods and take it to get whatever you can have. And like kids all come back and they've like lost weight. And it it just sounds like, what is this? And I guess in some ways you're going to forge your own identity and you're definitely going to become resourceful and try to figure out where where you stand and everything. But at the same time, like, for this to be like a publicly sponsored thing was just very different from uh, the world that you and I know about public education. Oh yeah. Well, and they go away to become, you know, tough and uh, independent and sounds like the Romans didn't they send people off with nothing but a sword and see what happens. And I think they still do that in Norway. They drop somebody off like a compass and a hope way out in the middle of nowhere. And then they have to come back. 
I think we should do this, Zach. I, I'm not sure how well I'd fare, but I do like the idea of it. Uh, well, that's an individual thing. Whereas out here, it just looked like they they threw you with all your peers to kind of figure it out and stuff like that. Um, Almost rather be by myself than with my peers. Right. And, and, you know, but just the idea of, you know, a kid from the very beginning having to sort of sort through all of that stuff is just sort of interesting. And of course, you want to psychoanalyze it to death and, and try to like say this is how he became who he was. But clearly it was a major part of his youth, along with the fact that he has a father that seems to sort of be uh, passive, aggressive, manic, depressive, uh, abusive, emotionally abusive, all of the things at once that uh, just seem to really wear on him as a kid, that that also just seems like something that would have forged kind of who he was as well. Absolutely. His dad didn't do him uh, any favors in terms of making his life easy, but I guess it made him the crazed, intense person he is. The, the one thing I found interesting is his childhood, though, seems like one that we'd also want a lot of kids to have and that he read a lot of books, read a lot of science fiction books that sort of gave him some of these big ideas about the galaxy and about planets, but also board games and role playing games. And at some point also gets into video games. But the point is, you know, allows him to think a lot start working on the idea of strategies and calculating risks. And even Elon just sort of points to a lot of those things kind of building and compounding in his brain to sort of also kind of forge who he is. And I just wonder, like, th those are all things that we want more kids to do nowadays that uh, seems harder and harder to get a lot of kids to get into. Sounds like a Gates childhood where you're on a computer before anybody else, coding before anybody else, figuring out how to solve these problems. Uh, breaking a code so you could get in and use this uh, video game forever because he figured out the uh, arcade game. Like these are things that are uh, not entirely legal, but very helpful to uh, develop the skills that have been so valuable to him over this time. Yeah, the, the thing I found interesting was Isaacson takes a moment to sort of talk about how kind of by the 90s, most hardware technology became sort of closed-faced and that it wasn't really easy to get in anymore and look at things, but that Elon grew up in the 70s, 80s when people were opening up cars or opening up early computers and playing around with things and, and like, you know, moving tubes around or moving wires around and kind of like figuring out how things work and then sort of retrofitting things or like adding things in there just to kind of see what it works. And Elon's childhood seems one very much uh, in that world. But at the same time, he became somebody who taught himself how to program and taught himself uh, how to like, you know, like manipulate computer software. And it definitely seemed to help forge his ability to think both from a software hardware side by the time he gets older. And that's something I think is just sort of interesting and worth noting is sort of just his background in developing both of those skills. Well, and there's this part of that that's uh, real hands-on that I think is comes out later when he really understands how rockets are built and how electric cars need to be built and um, monkeying around with it. I have a buddy who's a surgeon, and I asked him, I was like, look, how do you decide who does what? Like, I'm sure all of you folks at medical school are super smart and really good at organic chemistry, but when do you figure out that somebody's got the hand-eye coordination to be a surgeon versus just not at all having that skill? He said, 
it gets all the way to your rotations where then you take a rotation doing something and then you realize that, wow, this person's really not good at that. We're going to have to aim them to another direction. I was like, wow, it gets that far before they're like, oh, wait, you can't, you can barely tie your shoes. We don't want you trying to tie (laughs) knots inside somebody's heart. Like, it seems like this should be required work early on. Instead, it's all math and science for doctors. And somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I, was, I thought, well, this is the ideal early training for somebody that is going to pursue manufacturing, not just design, but the manufacturing aspect. And that's what reminded me more of Henry Ford. Although I haven't read a Henry Ford biography, I should probably should do that. I, I also just think the the characteristic of being curious, because the, the curiosity part of him to me is something also that's very admirable in that from an early age is interested in opening up a television set or opening up a computer and playing around, right? And then also just is interested in a wide variety of things. Again, he taught himself how to computer program. There's this great scene where he like basically is able to convince his dad to let him go to a college computer programming course. And he's also insistent. And I love the fact that as a kid, he learned that to get his way, he would just stand by his dad and then like not leave and then just keep bringing it up over and over until he could wear people down. And you can kind of see that as an adult uh, behavior kind of going on. But again, the idea of being insistent, persistent, curious, not afraid to like train himself on something. They always said that like at Tesla and at SpaceX, he almost knows more about the part or the problem that you're responsible for than you do. And they say that like the worst parts in meetings are when he asks a question and you don't have the answer. And that's when he really flies off. But they're just like, this guy is sort of around and, 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 you know, knows everything better than you. You have to be ready to meet him. Oh yeah. I have a child like that. <laughs> it just stands by you until he gets what he wants. He's focused and determined. Not the world's not going to say no to him. I, I fear for anybody that stands in his way in the future. Well, not being afraid of the word no. I think that's another trait or quality that not everybody has, but I think you can see where it's so helpful. In fact, another thing that I just sort of admired was uh they talk about how eventually when he's around I don't know, 18, 19, 20, he moves to Canada and he and his brother are at this point kind of living in a small apartment and they would read the newspaper every day and they would then just sort of like pick out like like a person in the newspaper each day that they both thought was interesting. Somebody who was doing interesting things or kind of a mover or shaker in the local area in Canada. And then they would just randomly call these people and ask them if they could have lunch with them. And they said that like, you know, Often, a majority of the people they just randomly cold call would be like, yeah, I'll have lunch with you. And that's how they end up getting internships at Scotia Bank, And they end up kind of finding a mentor for life. Is this like high important executive at Scotia Bank is like, I'll have lunch with you. And they just start peppering him with questions. What do you do? How do you do it? And, you know, isn't that another admirable quality that you'd love to see in your own kid? Oh, yeah. There's uh, oh, the director of Knocked Up. But he did that with stand-up comedians. He just interviewed them. He just said he wanted. He said he was from a radio station, which was his school TV radio station, and he would go and just interview them about everything they do. Judd Apatow. That's it. And they'd uh, just to find out. And people talked to him. I don't know if people would do that now, but they did it then for Judd Apatow and clearly Elon and his brother, who 
is seems like a pretty interesting character himself and has a pivotal role in several parts of this book. Like, I don't know what Kimber's doing or has done, but he's provided good advice more than once in this book. Yeah, it sounds like he and his brother Kimball are, Kimball. are pretty are, are pretty connected as they both, you know, had to make it through their South African childhoods and also both seem sort of aligned on how they kind of view their treatment from their father and stuff like that. And it looks like Kimball sort of has, has been at a lot of uh, the projects that Elon has worked on. In fact, one of the more interesting anecdotes is when they were working on their Zip2 company, which was the first kind of internet company they were doing, where it seemed to deal with like mapping software in the early ages where people were trying to like still organize the internet so you could search for things. There's just some great scenes of like literally Elon and Kimball getting into major arguments over their their company or the product they were making. And literally they're like, physically fighting and rolling on around on the floor and punching each other and biting each other. And uh, like other co-workers just talking about how like, awkward it was. Appreciate the passion. That's how he started. <laughs> really. His brother could write the book about dealing with Elon. Like, this is what it's like. You just have to understand this is who he is, but brothers understand brothers. I understand my brother. I know my two boys get each other and could describe each other pretty accurately. I mean, that, especially at what were whatever they were, 2022, they've been through a lot together. Moved to Canada. Their mom seems like an interesting character, too. She's modeling and doing janitor gigs. Like, how is that like a thing? That's that seems out of the ordinary. Yes. In, in fact, uh, not just the mom. I think you could make an amazing Hollywood movie about the grandfather who oh, yeah. only is in like the first page of the book or so. But. Basically, the grandfather was living in America, was sort of like a hobo, riding trains, eventually like sees somebody fly a plane and then decides like he wants to fly a plane. So he like trades a car to get one, like teaches himself how to fly, sets various flying records uh, in America and like, around the world. And then like eventually decides to move to South Africa. I, I feel like there's a story in a movie there that would be interesting. Oh, absolutely. That's that's yeah, that I was like, wow, is this Elon? Wait. Who's this guy? I, I was fascinated just from the beginning about that. They talk about Elon as a student in school who was kind of withdrawn. And a lot of teachers wrote zones out a lot and just sort of is unresponsive. Elon himself talks about the idea that sometimes he'll just go deeply into his head and literally not take any input uh, while he's just thinking through things. And it made me wonder, we have a lot of kids that zone out in our classes. Do you think we should just say they're the next Elon Musk? Uh, I'm not going there yet. There's been one so far. So I'm not sure I have them in every class period. But there's a lot of potential in any kid. Depends on what they, uh, how they decide to put their efforts and where they decide to go. I think a lot of people think differently about the trade-offs. I mean, you and I have had, could have early moved up in our career and become administrators and work our way to superintendents. I have a friend who's a superintendent who's my age. Like we could have made this path and then worked our way up to higher edger ed policy and just trade off everything for work and uh, engagement, even in our chosen field, which is one that doesn't have great wealth or vertical mobility. But we decided not to. We decided you're coaching middle school basketball and teaching and I'm teaching and doing an online gig and being parents and we're happy with that. I also noticed that we haven't been remarried several times. That's true. Yeah, that is also very true. And I and I do I've never heard it put this way. And I, I do think this is interesting is 
you know, Isaacson seems to talk about how he's addicted to drama and addicted to sort of just a lot of things going on at once. And it seems to make him thrive. To me, it's almost exhausting reading about these sorts of things, but maybe there's just a type of person that just loves it when everything's happening all at once. Oh yeah, for sure. These are people like big cities and like doing, having lots happening and finding out what's really going on. A lot of people are willing to tune out. They don't want to find out what's going on, but not Musk. He's all in on anything and everything that's going on. There's an interesting anecdote about how he and Peter Thiel are in a major car accident um, on their way to, to some sort of a meeting, I believe. And uh, it sounds like Peter Thiel wasn't wearing a seatbelt because he's a libertarian and doesn't believe in that sort of a regulation. And uh, both of them are able to walk away fairly unscathed. But I just sort of wondered if that's a major uh, what if in history there. Oh, yeah, for sure. You don't know which way that goes. They also just kind of go back to uh, as he's building his companies. And I would say the part that I sort of left off in in this first part is right around 2007, 8, 9 is where Elon has both uh, a fledgling rocket company and also has Tesla. Both are, are burning cash and neither is looking successful. And he is basically going back and forth between both of these companies, trying to keep them alive. And it's also right at the time of the great financial crisis, where it's getting harder and harder to find uh, investors and money. And, and to me, watching him sort of under that sort of pressure, and they talked about how like he's vomiting at night and uh, he's not sleeping and, and basically almost at a breaking point. Uh, also in, in the middle of a divorce as well, uh, that just seems like if you're going to make a movie about this guy, don't you just basically make it about those couple years? Well, no, because, you, well, I, it's hard to make a movie because you can't squeeze all this into a movie. That's why but, we picked those three years or something like that. Maybe that's the opening scene is that everything is going awful and there's like a four to one chance that both companies fail. There's a one in 20 shot that they both come alive and succeed. And that's what happens. They both succeed. And we know that now from history. But you start with that dark, dark moment. And then how do we get to that point? Maybe that's how you write the movie. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good idea. I, I was For the record, that... I'm not writing the movie. That would be violating the uh, strike by the Screenwriters Guild. Yes, I, I would assume that... Um... Who's the guy that uh, American president and the the Washington D.C. show? He would get the the rights to make this movie. So Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah. They're not they're not asking you and I to write it. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe if we double down, Zach. That's the thing. We got to double down. Put all our money and resources into one thing, and then do it again and again and again. Mortgage our homes. Push it all into one script. Yes, that's right. <laughs> quit our jobs, put everything on the line, our children's future. Like, yeah, let's do it. And then ignore our spouses and maybe get divorced. I don't like the way this picture goes. <laughs> well, speaking of not very risk averse, one of my other favorite anecdotes that came up was somewhere in, I think, the beginnings of SpaceX, Elon and, and some of his confidants, they go to visit Rudy Giuliani in, in New York <laughs> City. And they try to like explain what they want to accomplish. Or maybe this was PayPal and he was trying to disrupt finance. Maybe that was it. But they go to Rudy Giuliani with one of their ideas. And they just describe him as being surrounded by a bunch of his goons who had no idea about anything they were talking about and had no interest in even learning about what they were talking about. 
But basically, they end the movie with just saying, like, we want 10% of your business. And we'll just kind of be the muscle behind it and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, man, Giuliani looking bad now. This doesn't make him look any better. Not curious. Just looking for the cash and the uh, and the, the headlines. Uh, I, I'm glad it didn't work out for Giuliani. It's funny because like, you know, you think about Benedict Arnold, right? And everybody always says if he just would have died at the Battle of Saratoga, like he would have been a hero, like in American history. And then obviously he's one of the great turncoats of all time and and goes down as this horrible person in history. And you just think like Rudy's popularity and approval rating after 9-11 was just so sky high. And then ever since, all you ever read about is just weird things that he's involved in and nobody really seems to have a high opinion of him anymore and bankruptcy now he's in i feel bad for his ex-wives they're probably not getting the alimony that they need that that is probably true my other favorite thing was early in spacex the u.s government is now starting to take an interest in them and elon is now trying to fight to get a government contract from nasa so that uh, he can keep his company alive and uh they NASA decides to award like a quarter billion dollar contract to I think it's like Kessler uh, Aerospace or something like that. And Elon's like, why are you giving them this money? And then the government's like, well, they're going to go out of business if we don't. And he's like, but they don't actually make a good product. It doesn't actually work. And he just once again brings up this idea of how inefficient our government really operates. And the idea that like we don't really have competitive competitive pricing or competitive competition to actually get things. And so he sues the U.S. government and wins. And I thought that was kind of impressive for just somebody who's just not afraid to, again, ask hard questions and challenge every uh, preconceived assumption about how things should work. Oh, and his people told him you'll never get a government contract forever again if you do this. And he did it anyway. He went again, went all in. And by the way, that's his biggest customer and really is almost only because the customer is the U.S. government for SpaceX. But he did it. And he was right. Again, he was right. He's all in. Yeah. No, I mean, NASA is obviously a major customer of his now, but he's almost hit that point where he'll have governments around the world that are going to want his services at this point. And that's that's coming up for part two, I think, as we sort of talk about his kind of power and influence now uh, around the world on, on those kinds of issues. But I just think that the first principles part is maybe my biggest takeaway from uh, the first part of this book is somebody who just is not afraid to ask a lot of hard questions and challenge every assumption. And they, they just talk about the litany of government regulations about like space launch pads and why are we doing this? And he's been able to get so many ideas and things changed And I guess it makes me just sort of wonder, and and my question to you is, like, you know, we work in education, big uh, bureaucracy, lots of rules, lots of educations, lots of preconceived assumptions that we have to keep following. Do you think that, like, somebody should be using first principles thinking when it comes to, like, how we do our jobs, how our buildings operate, how school districts operate, how we just dispense education? I believe that everybody in America still believes education is important. But after that, I do think there's a lot of questions people have, but yet very rarely do we challenge any of the assumptions we follow. Well, we'd love to challenge them. I, they're top down and there's no, there's no way to beat it in that 
Musk beats it by doing this thing better and cheaper than anybody else in all these technological breakthroughs. Even if our school became the best school district in the nation and broke through and achieved degrees better than anybody else, it, no, nobody would really care. Like it, it wouldn't change anything. We would just say, nobody would be like, all right, now you guys don't have to follow the rules. There, there would, there'd be no changing of the rules because the success, although great for the students there, would not be a game changer. And inevitably all the people that fueled the success would spread out to other places and take less challenging jobs for more rewarding salaries. And there's no like championship where you win and they can look back and change the game. That's a good point. That's a good point that even if you did become the best, uh, you're right. It wouldn't be maybe enough change to, to get a lot of other people excited about it and stuff like that. And our competitors wouldn't go out of business. I mean, if SpaceX has been so successful, it's been a huge game changer for Boeing and Lockheed Martin. They've had to reckon with all the things they're doing and make changes. If uh, where our employer, Lake Orion Schools, dominated beyond anything else, I don't think Clarkston's really changing that much. They're certainly not going out of business. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. There's no great profits to be held to destroy the competition. That's not a, there's not a zero sum in education where there is seemingly in many other businesses, especially rockets. No, that's a, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I think that puts that in perspective. I just think um, that might be the part that I would want anybody to read this book is to, at least just look at how he looks at the world. Cause I think there's something um, fascinating about it. And again, I think you can still maybe disagree with his behaviors and who he is, but just to see somebody challenge everything and then obviously see the results. Uh, it, it makes the book very fascinating to me. I feel like this book could be endless because there's stuff coming out all the time. And um, like, I don't know if it's in the book because I haven't finished it yet, but I was just reading the newspaper that, so Elon Musk and the Starlink is providing internet to most, uh, satellite-based internet to most of Ukraine and specifically Ukrainian military. And that's how they're doing all this targeting and so forth. And then a while back, he turned off the Starlink so that they wouldn't attack the Russian fleet because Elon was afraid of a worldwide war. Like he, he has the power to affect a conflict in Ukraine and Russia and like there's just constantly things happening I feel like if you're the author of this book you got it finished then you wake up in the morning and look at the newspaper and say you got to write another chapter or two I, it could just go on forever and ever and ever no I, it almost just feels like this is part one and you could almost say Isaacson could just uh essentially eat for free by just uh putting out a new Elon book every five years and you still would have to then be outdated within the next month i mean musk is only in his 50s i think right i mean you have to assume he's going to have major influence over the next 20 30 40 years just himself clearly this just seems like a first part biography which i don't know how often is it that somebody gets a biography written about them that's clearly only, you know, half full. And yet what a full life it is so far. Well, that's, and that was interesting that he's, that uh, Isaacson has taken on this job, uh, this book, because I remember reading that when he did the Jobs book, he, Steve Jobs asked him to write his biography, knowing that he was very sick, but nobody else knew he was very sick. And Isaacson said, no, you're too young. You got a long way to go. 
And then became, it became clear that Jobs didn't have a long way to go, that he was very, very ill. And then Isaacson took it on and the book culminates and finishes shortly after his death. And it's very powerful. But Elon, unless there's something we don't know, seems to be going strong. He may be getting more eccentric. I don't know where the book goes from here, but if we're lucky, we see peak Elon for another 20 years. If we're unlucky, it goes off that Henry Ford rails there. That's true. There's no guarantee that it gets better, right? In fact, if anything, I feel like 10 years ago, most people were were pro-Musk and just, you know, thought he was the eccentric billionaire with some really cool companies. And only in the last couple of years do I feel like there's a real fatigue that is kind of set in about him. Yeah, well, then people resentful of the billions and billions of dollars. But I mean, he's clearly made the choice to stay in the game. Looks like uh, your boy, Jeff Bezos, he's opted out. He's got a really nice boat, a new girlfriend, and he seems to be traveling and chilling. Like, I can't blame him. He's not taking the Musk road. Think about how he could, uh, if Elon had all his money and Jeff Bezos' money, think of all he could do. Or, yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where this thing ends. Hopefully, we'll live long enough to find out. Well, it's funny because I remember Jeff Bezos uh, got on his own rocket, I think, and uh, rode it into the the atmosphere or something like that. I just remember him putting on a stupid cowboy hat when he landed and just sort of being like, you're a clown. I can't take you seriously anymore. He's a bald man, Zach. Bald men wear hats. You and I know that well. Yeah, but but not a cowboy hat after you've landed your rocket. I, I just feel like like a, if he would have been a baseball cap, I would have been like, all right, that's fine. But it, there, there was just an arrogance to it that I didn't appreciate. I don't know. Maybe I need to go cowboy hat. Would it be better if it was a derby hat? <laughs> or a top hat? Like, I, I, I don't know what the hat, best hat is. You know what? If you fly your rocket up into space, you can come down and put on whatever hat you want. You're right. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. I, if anything, though, just kind of back to your point about you know his involvement in the Ukraine situation is that to me is probably the next twenty years of his life, though, of basically somebody who has so much wealth and clout, and somebody who controls you know a rocket company and, and a major automobile company. And he's involved in satellites and he's involved in all of these major hard things that I just think that we're going to see, again, somebody who won capitalism in a way that maybe we've never seen ever in this world. Usually we talk about countries and their economies and their GDP growth. And wow, look at the dynamic economy of South Korea or something like that, right? And look at their their tech sector. But we're now talking about one individual who almost transcends uh, the nation state in a way to become like their own almost individual state. And I just think that it's just like uncharted territory. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just, it's fascinating that somebody got that high. Cause even like your robber barons in the 19th century, they were robber barons of a nation, not necessarily the world. This is different. No, you're right. And he's transcended states. He's left California for Texas. The government keeps investigating him and coming to some mild conclusions and not being able to really regulate him he's he's running a different ball game um yeah i don't know i'm i'm intrigued waiting to see where this ends yeah 
Well, you and I will uh, finish up the second half of this book and we will uh, comment on uh, what happens. I guess the, uh, I guess the spoiler alert is that Tesla and SpaceX both make it as companies, but we'll, uh, we'll confirm that uh, once we get to the second half of the book. Yeah, I don't think the second half is going to be as as exciting. I, I'm just starting the boring company, and I'm, I'm not a huge, uh, I'm not impressed yet. I'm just hoping for more uh, smoke filled rooms. Give me some more Rudy Giuliani anecdotes uh, and stuff like that. I'll take it all. <laughs> well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week. I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care.